friends, and welcome to the CU Insight Network. My name is Randy Smith. I'm one of the co-founders of CUinsight.com, and it is my job on this show to have conversations with thought leaders who support the credit union community. We, we try to identify a few issues affecting credit unions, have a discussion about best practices so that we can all gain a few nuggets in, to learn and you know improve our credit unions. My guest on today's show is... Tony Repinich. Tony is the president and chief operating officer of Shield Compliance. So I'd like to bring Tony in and just jump right into the conversation. Tony, welcome to the show. Hey, Randy. Good to see you. It's so good to see you. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm uh, excited about this conversation, as I was telling you, you know, before we hit record. But I'd like to start with a little background. Most of us didn't grow up wanting to be working credit unions someday, uh, but we find <laughs> ourselves here, and most of us are pretty happy that we are. What did you want to be growing up, and what was the path to where you are today when you decided to to take the gig as you know president and COO at Shield Compliance? Well, sure. Well, actually, I am that strange kid that wanted to be a banker. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> at, at a very young age, I just loved, I loved going to the bank. I loved everything. I wanted to learn everything about banking. And so in high school, started working at a community bank and then spent 25 years in community banking, which you know is not too dissimilar from credit unions in terms of our focus on people and community. Absolutely. So let's pretend we're in a different world than we are right now. And we meet at a conference. You know, give me the uh, the elevator pitch for, for those who don't know. What is Shield Compliance and, and how do you add value to the credit union system? Yeah, we're helping credit unions who want to bank the legalized cannabis industry build scale and efficiency into the compliance operations that are required to serve these customers. And so it's been really fun to work with credit union executives who see this unique opportunity to solve a problem in their community and bring their banking platform to these customers. But they know right away there's a there's a big lift in terms of compliance operations to make that work. That's where we get to come to the table and, and help them out. You know, I knew there was going to be a bunch of different directions that I could ask you about here. And a lot of that's like scratch my own itch, just intrigue, right? Like, uh, because yeah. I think you guys are in just a cool space to be in right now in this current moment, right? But as we were preparing for the show, there were a couple of situations that were important to credit unions that we talked about. And, and I'd like to start with like what it looks like to transform that credit union business model through leveraging the opportunities that you were just talking about of compliant. And I think that's probably a pretty important word, compliant. Right. <laughs> yes. It's so important we put in the name of our company. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think you have to think about two things with credit unions. For many credit unions, member business banking, it's still relatively new. And there's a lot of compliance considerations around BSA, AML, the KYC requirements that come with member business banking. And so part of it is leveraging what they've started and now jumping into the deep end of the pool because these customers, unlike your typical business member, uh, has all of this increased risk. So it's about building the right technology. It's about understanding how they've configured their core so that we can leverage that data. And then it's about building a team. You know, within these credit unions, the value that those BSA AML officers add to the equation is their judgmental decision making, right? And so we're not trying to replace that. They know their members and they know their community. What happens when you have a high-risk business like 
cannabis banking is you end up filling in all of these gaps just with brute force labor. This cannabis compliance has largely been built on PDFs, spreadsheets, and just, you know, rolling up your sleeves uh, and, and doing the work that needs to be done. And that's terrific, but it's not scalable. And it also can cloud your ability to see those issues that require your attention. You spend all your time looking at everything. By the time you get to the thing that actually requires your judgmental decision making, you're exhausted. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so what we try to bring is leveraging technology and all of the data that surrounds this new cannabis industry so that our bankers can bring that data in, understand their customer better, put the stuff that's in the green bucket in the move forward, let's not spend time on it. The stuff that's clearly in the red, let's disposition it and get rid of it. It's the stuff in the yellow. That's where those analysts and those bank managers, credit union managers, that's where that's where the money's made. And that's where the risk is mitigated. And so it's enabling them to be able to focus their time and attention and the relationships that they have on those issues. Scratch my own itch question, fully admitted. Wasn't something <laughs> that we talked about beforehand. What's in the yellow? You know what I mean? Like, what are some of those, I guess, risks that you just, because my guess is a lot of people are going to watch this and listen to it that are like, we know we need to move towards this space, but, you know, where do we start? So, like, what is that yellow that that takes up so much time? Or could you give a couple examples of it, I guess? Or? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think it starts with new account onboarding. And so, what we see uh, a lot of bankers doing, I mean, maybe let's take one step back, Randy. Okay. I mean, you take away the sort of, federal state problem, right? right. Like, yeah. We all know that's a problem, but yeah. that's there. The banks, that, the credit unions and banks have gotten into this business have accepted that. But the BSA AML risk for these credit unions really stem from three key things. One is you have an industry that existed long before <laughs> it was legalized, right? And right. the money yeah. from that industry is still floating around looking for a home. Mm-hmm. The credit unions have to guard against that. So you really have to understand what are the source of funds that helped you to get this license and to build out this business? And are those from legal sources? Uh, and so it's, it's understanding that. And that requires some, some um, judgmental decision-making. You also have an industry that is, you know, it's supposed to be $41 billion in 2025. That's huge. Yeah. How about the illicit market? $65 billion. Right. So you still have a legal market that is smaller than the illicit okay. market. And you have a product that moves pretty easily from this hands legal, this hands not, you know. And so <laughs> you've got to make sure that then as you're banking those proceeds that the credit union can sort of ascertain that the proceeds that are being deposited come from good legal sources. And okay. that is part of your legal operations and what you've been licensed to do. A lot of data involved in that. And at the times, there's anomalies. You have to understand all the moving pieces and parts of that data. And then lastly, whenever you have a business that's got high concentrations of cash, a legacy, a legacy beginning, and a pretty strong illicit market, there's some unsavory characters that try to attach themselves to these businesses. So credit unions also look at that and say, okay, generally, I look at a new business that walks into my lobby. I look at that member and I say, well, tell me who owns that business. You know, anybody that has 20 or 25% more ownership of that business. But because of the risk of those sort of unsavory parties, the credit unions are saying, tell me the people that own 5% of that business yeah, yeah, or more. That. 
So you're looking at more people, you're understanding at a much deeper level, the people that are involved in these organizations. And so as you're gathering all that information, it's about creating, you know, as much automation around that as possible. It's about bringing additional data to bear to help validate what the customers told you. But there will be times that information pops up that you're like, why do you have this amount of deposits and this amount of seed to sell tracking? Oh, well, I also did this and this and this. Okay, that let, let's take a look at that. And that makes sense. But the data itself might not tell you that story. You may have to, you may have to talk to the customer and understand okay. that, oh, you took an investment from over here, or you are working, you have a master holding company in another state and how all that money moves around the organization. These are very complex businesses that they're banking because of the state licensing, because of the fact that they have very adverse taxation, they create lots of legal entities. Sometimes that can be confusing and look like money laundering. So it takes that credit union analyst to take a look at it and really say, I understand all the pieces of this. And when I look at the data, then it flows with where I think they should be. Yeah, that's wild. Cool. Thanks for answering that. Um, yeah. Just to, to, to kind of continue on, what does, or I guess, how does maybe a, a solid cannabis banking strategy relate to, you know, an evolution of the credit union business? Well, I, you know, I think we talked about it at the beginning that for many credit unions, the move into member business banking has been a way to diversify their balance sheet and their income statement, right? Okay. And, and if you go into member business banking, you got a lot of competition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've got from the big guys, the, the big national banks, you've got a lot of community banks. And so one of the things that I think that cannabis has done that's uniquely done for the credit union industry is it's allowed them to enter into member business banking and be extremely competitive because there's a limited number of players serving that market. And so they've been able to make a real difference for these businesses. And they've been able to understand where they need to continue to beef up their systems to match up with what a business member needs instead of that consumer. And so I think that's part of that evolution of credit, credit union saying, you know what? Our, the businesses in our community can benefit from the services and the approach that we take to doing business. Um, but it is not simply taking our consumer products and putting the word business in front of them. It is a different set of underwriting, a different set of business requirements, not just for the credit union, but for the customer. They expect something different. So if I'd like to, it's kind of continuing down this, and it was something I had in my notes a, a little bit later, but it kind of fits here, is if if the credit union wants to be a first mover in this, right? What are the first steps? Like, you know, what what is that, that journey know, look like? Yeah, really. <laughs> I mean, because you mentioned some stuff. I mean, trying to get into business lending with, you know, the national banks and the community banks already in that space, but if they're not many of them aren't playing in cannabis yet, then, uh, you know, what does, what does that look like? Or what's the first step, I guess, you know? Well, I think the, the, the first step is really that risk assessment. You know, if you're entering any new line of business, whether it's on the deposit side, the lending side, a new market, it's that risk assessment and understanding it. There are some unique things in that risk assessment that cannabis will bring up. One is the regulators want to see that you don't get overly concentrated in this line of business. Okay. You know, let's, Let's uh, crawl before you walk or run. Don't don't just uh, become completely dependent on this as a funding strategy 
or for those credit unions that are lending as a lending strategy. Don't become overweighted in this. There's a lot of requirements and it's still a relatively new industry. So one is concentrations. The other is counterparties. There is a limited set of financial institutions that are willing to serve this industry. And so banks and credit unions rely on each other to offer and and facilitate many of the services that they deliver to their members. And so you have to look at your counterparties and say, what is the impact that offering cannabis will have on my relationship with those counterparties? Give you a very simple one of shared branching. I mean, you're going to have to make sure that shared branching is turned off for these customers. You can't have your cannabis customer wandering into one of your shared branching partners are not going to be very happy with you. Uh, <laughs> so that that's, you know, first and foremost. And then, but you also have to look at correspondent banks. And then you have to look at things like DNO insurance and how that impacts your insurance coverage. So it's doing that risk assessment. And it's really working with the board to make sure they have an understanding of the risks that are involved, not just the opportunity. Because oftentimes you have board members who may have investments in this in the community or see the growth in the local community. And that's very exciting, right? New business is happening. Why aren't we involved? And so it's saying, yes, there is new business there. And it's really exciting. Let's overlay that with the risk mitigation that we have to put in place in order to serve that industry and make sure that we're prepared to make the investment in technology and people. And that that we will get to a certain scale that it will be efficient for us because so it can't, can't be half pregnant, right? And that's yeah, kind of yeah. cannabis banking. Once you're in, you're in and you got to be willing to do it. And so that's all part of the initial discussion. Then as I think you move along that continuum, it's really about what's the impact on operations. And so it's operational planning, product planning, and making sure that you've got all the right sort of belts and suspenders in place to successfully launch to this new membership group that you're going after. And then lastly, and where we come in is how will you leverage technology so that you're not just relying on brute force labor to fulfill your compliance obligations. Instead, you're using technology to build consistency and efficiency into those processes. You guys are in a very interesting, cool space. That's for sure. I I didn't want to skip over this, but I, it was another thing that I had in my notes. So, it, and it was more intrigued for me on this. With the, I guess, the consideration of the expansion of state-based legal uh, cannabis programs, how does that impact credit unions? And, and this is a, another, just one of these kind of add-ons to it. Like different states are rolling this out at different times, right? Many states are much further along the process, let's just say. So, you know, um, <laughs> how does that all, I guess, affect uh, a credit union program as well? I was talking to a business partner of ours uh, earlier this morning, and he said, it's like dealing with 35 sovereign nations, the states that have legalized cannabis, because each of them have their own regulatory structure, set of rules. And as you well pointed out, they're all in really different places in their evolution. So you can go to places like Washington State and Colorado, where, you know, it's a pretty stable, you know, in cannabis terms, it's kind of an old market. Right. Uh, and then you've got other states that are just, you know, just coming online and, and are in that high state of capitalization and, and expansion and licensing. Here's how we look at it. Number one is we think as these new states come online um, and continue to expand their programs, you, know, you think about states, they start with medical. Very yep. narrow. A few people qualify. And then over time, those qualifications get broader and broader. So all the way up to chronic pain. And, you know, most of us 
of a certain age. I think Randy, you and I are about the same age. We all have chronic pain, right? right. So you, you get you move along that continuum, and so that gets you a certain size market. And then when you go to adult use, that's a forklift upgrade in the size of the market and the opportunity for credit unions to provide services. The conversation that we have with states and uh, state cannabis regulators frequently is we think you want your license holders to have access to banking, right? If for no other reason, you don't want the public safety risk of all of this cash out in the community. And number two, and maybe more now given the states that have recently passed, you want the tax revenue. And I don't think you want these license holders showing up with bags of money on the front steps of the state treasury department. So get them access to banking so we can get the cash off the streets and properly bank and that you can get access uh, to your tax revenues. To do that, those state regulators have to provide some things to the credit unions. They have to provide transparent information about the licenses that they've issued and their evaluation process for issuing those licenses. They have to have good controls in place so the bank can rely on those control, those market controls. And then, um, and then thirdly, that there is consistent enforcement. So you look at places like California, which relative to the size of the market doesn't have a lot of banking that's changed over the last few years. But you could, you could tie a lot of that limited access to banking relative to market size to lack of market controls, lack of regulator transparency. And as the Newsom administration has tightened up all of those things, you've seen more and more banks and credit unions come to serve that market. You take other markets that have had all of those controls from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, take Michigan, terrific access to banking. You look at Washington State, where the credit unions here, we estimate 80% of the license holders have uh, have banking. And that's largely been led by credit unions because, n- number one, they were willing to take the risk and understand how to manage the business. But number two, they had a regulatory infrastructure that provided them with transparency and a sense of surety about how the market was going to be managed. Good stuff there. Uh, you know, as we close up this section of the show, I, I'd like to kind of ask a question about the future. I feel like what you all do there, you have to be a pretty innovative company that's that's keeping, you know, and changing and moving forward. So I, I thought you'd be a, a great person to ask this. But, you know, if you break out the crystal ball for me, over the past few years, we've seen a ton of disruption in financial services with People coming in from all over the place, right? Uh, and a lot of right. you mentioned quite a bit about technology. It's you know, even tech companies are coming into this space. What trends are you seeing? And if you're sitting down, you're doing a planning session for you know Shield compliance. Wh- what's the focus going forward when it comes to, to innovating to, to meet these challenges? I think that the thing that I talk to our team about all the time, and then in turn talk to our, our credit union executives about is. That compliance and customer service cannot be at odds with each other. They have to work in parallel. And so as you're building out compliance systems, how are they enabling uh, client service and member service so that the member leaves thinking, hey, I know I've got to meet these enhanced requirements, but I've had a really great experience. It's, it's easy for me to comply. And so looking at all of these digital interactions, I think about some of these early digital like branch account openings and and different things that happened, it really tried to just replicate what we were doing in the branch, right? right? right. And sometimes we were even still mailing out like, we'll just mail you the disclosures afterwards, right? Well, 
let's we it's a wholly digital experience. And so how do we envision the customer or the member interacting with the credit union, whether it's to obtain new services, to meet compliance obligations, to access credit, they're going to be more and more reliant on that digital experience. And I, you know, you even think about not just your cannabis business member, but just business members in general. Now that I've run a startup, and, and right. working yeah. in, in, in financial services for 25 years, I'd be a much more sympathetic banker now. Uh, that we're not but, the easiest to deal with all the time. And yeah. I looked at some of the solutions that I'm offered to help me run my small business here, right? Uh, whether that's QuickBooks and the kinds of invoicing things I can do, and other products and services to make it really easy for me to efficiently manage my business. Absolutely. And as as credit unions, how do I become part of the digital fabric of the businesses that I'm serving so that I'm indispensable? You couldn't pry my QuickBooks out of my hands because I'm. <laughs> it is now so ingrained into everything we do at our business. Absolutely. <laughs> and similar, similarly, how do we make sure the credit union and all of its interactions with its customers especially with this, in this case, these very complex compliance heavy customers have that, that, that were weaved into the digital operations of that business. I think you, you, you actually answered my, my next question, I think. Uh, <laughs> so I, I may just skip over it to tell you the truth. It really hit home with me, like that idea of trying to recreate, say, a paper or in-person experience into a digital one, if you do the same exact thing that you've always done. You're not going to get the experience you're hoping for, there, right? Like it, that, that seems to be the the, the case for sure. Um, well, you know, and, and Randy, I'll just add. I'll, I'll just add quickly. Add one thing to that. A lot of the credit unions we work with, and I'm sure that you talk to all the time, yeah. they provide great service, and they, they're really hands on. And those people and those relationships are so important. So it's also thinking about it, it's not about making everything self service or everything full service. It's about how do you create that assisted environment where the technology actually enables the banker, that credit, that credit union rep to better serve the client and so that they can, they can share in those platforms um, rather than I've got my, my silo over here of my technology and the customer stuff is over here. And um, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, it's quite a long pass to get things between the two. Instead, it's how do we play in the same sandbox so that I can, it's, it can be digital self uh, assisted self-service rather right. than being in one bucket or the other. And I think a lot of our technology initiatives early on, it was easier just to say it's kind of the full service path or the self-service right. path. Right. Yeah. But I think all of us know, like, kind of like a little bit of both. Sometimes yeah. I like to use self-check. Sometimes I like a checker. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It depends on your mood, which one you're going to choose. And this Right. But yeah. uh, so to wrap up the show, we like to have a little fun with the rapid fire questions that lets okay. our listeners get to, to know you a little better. It's uh, something we've done now for years on the See You Inside Experience podcast. So it kept it for this one. Uh, the questions are rapid. Your answers okay. do not have to be. So, <laughs> <laughs> what is there a recent purchase that you've made that you had no idea you needed, but now you're like, I, I couldn't live without it? Well, with all these Zoom calls, to be honest with you, this this selfie light 
that my wife bought me. Like I thought it was kind of goofy. And I'm like, now I, I know now I can't be on a call without it. <laughs> um, I, I happened to be away from home today and it traveled with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have one at the office and one at home. So I, I've got two now. <laughs> my, my partner, you know, we're obviously both working from home. And at first we had one. <laughs> like, well, what if we both have to be on Zoom? We're like, you know, so now we have we have multiples around the house as well. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> when you hear the word success, who is the first person that comes to mind and why? You know, maybe it's because I'm from Seattle, but, you know, I often think of Howard Schultz and Starbucks. Oh, and, right. you know, that it was really about reimagining the client experience. It was, you know, yes, they're selling coffee, but it's it's really about... Uh, how they interact with their customers and the spaces that they create for their customers. I think the other thing that that company has done under Howard's leadership, and that sometimes we fail to do in banking, is they don't stand still. So, you know, you look at their stores, they're constantly evolving the store experience and constantly investing in that physical plant. So, I always feel like it's fresh, new, clean, modern. Um, it's where these days to go into an old Starbucks, right? Absolutely. They're yeah. constantly being refreshed. And I think there's, there's something to be learned there, especially as our branch experiences or our members becomes more of an event rather than a regular occurrence. And so now when they come to the branch, um, there's something specific driving them there and they better be wowed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the way Starbucks even turns over a store over the course of days, weeks, months, or whatever, you know, like the... It's crazy. <laughs> if, if, if you buy a coffee cup and it breaks and you want to find it again a year later, it's there's no way it's there. So it's <laughs> not the same one. You better find a new favorite. So uh, <laughs> the, the, the random question, what's the, the greatest album of all time? Or I know many of us have moved away from the album. So the Spotify playlist or Apple Music playlist, whatever, whatever your poison is. <laughs> well, I, I listen to a lot of uh, new pop music. So I would say that the, the top hits on my Spotify list is, is often uh, rolling. But I would say Adele 19 is probably one of my favorite albums ever. I am actually shocked that on both podcasts, that's the first time that Adele's come up. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> when you said it, I'm like, that's amazing. That hasn't happened before. Any books that you've either gifted uh, throughout your life to people or, or like that book that you just think everybody should read? Nickel and Dimed in America. And it is a great story um, uh, about a woman who goes and works in a lot of low-wage jobs across the country and talks about her experiences of the other people that she meets that work in these industries and the struggles that they go through. And um, it, it changed how I think about people that do this important work. And one of the stories in the book that, that always hits me is that this housekeeper, this group of housekeepers that she worked with for a while that weren't allowed to drink water at one of the houses that they cleaned. And I thought, how terrible is that? Or yeah, she absolutely. cleaned hotel rooms and people couldn't afford to buy themselves a lunch. Right. And so when you think about checking out that hotel room and am I going to leave a tip or not? Do I have cash? Yeah, somebody needs to be able to buy a bottle of water today or have lunch. Or have they lunch shouldn't today. Have to, they shouldn't have to worry about that. Oh, I have not heard of that book. It will be on the Amazon cart here soon. And uh, <laughs> back up. I, I love getting the recommendations on the show. So the, the calendar's empty. 
What does Tony <laughs> do to unwind outside of work? I'm sure it hasn't doesn't happen a lot, but <laughs> well, I am I am a Peloton fanatic. Okay, so I um, <laughs> Wait, I, have to I did you have the Peloton before COVID? Or were you? We did. Them? Luckily, so we did have it before COVID. Thankfully, or we'd still be on the waiting list. I think. Right, uh, puppies, everybody got. So. <laughs> I know. No, we were lucky enough to have it before we were big uh, indoor cyclers, Soul Cycle, things like okay. that. And so we brought that to home. And boy, with COVID, it's been a lifesaver. And uh, I love the energy and uh, just burning it off. So um, that's that's one of the things I love to do. I also love to cook, and so being home. I was traveling about 70% of the time before COVID. Right. And so I've been able to cook a lot for the family being home full time over the last year. And so that's something I enjoy doing too. Uh, you, you're getting more time to do. Uh, uh, you know, we'll link to everything we talked about today in the show notes. My last question that I have for you is, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share or an ask from our listeners? Yeah. If you're looking to get into cannabis banking, what I would say is, there's been a lot of credit unions that have paved a path and there is, there's a playbook now for you to be able to serve this industry. And there's still an opportunity to get a first mover advantage. If that's something you're interested in pursuing, we'd love to talk to you. Oh, that is, that is great. Tony, I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I think both of us were traveling a lot before this COVID. So hopefully once <laughs> we're, we're doing it again, we're, uh, our paths cross because I, I look forward to a future conversation. So I do you. also. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for being on the show. And like I said, we'll link to everything in the show notes, but stay well, my friend. Mm-hmm.